Mark 9. Let's read. We'll read through the chapter. And then I just, maybe we'll take a couple of minutes here to, <laughs> I don't know why you say that anymore. What's wrong with me? I know. Um, there's a couple of things I thought were very interesting as I was reading through Mark 9 that I wanted to just maybe have you guys consider and, um, and, and for us to be um, aware of uh, what the Lord was doing in this setting uh, here in Mark 9 and then uh, from that maybe to learn a, a few things about, uh, about what the Lord is doing now and uh, what he, uh, some things maybe that we can do so, as we walk with the Lord. I have my coffee up here, but can't drink. Mark nine. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. <laughs> All right, Mark nine, uh, beginning in verse one. Um, <clears throat> and he said to them, "What's not bad?" Anyways, and and he said to them. Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured. He was transformed before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them uh, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, which is the Hebrew word for teacher, uh, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how, and how is it written concerning the Son of Man? That he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I say to you that Elijah has also come. And they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid or, or like uh, his muscles become tense. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they couldn't. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? 
Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him into, into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the, the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they didn't understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, <laughs> sorry, I had a flashback to this old Carmen song called Who's in the House, JC, it was hor horrible flashback from the 90s, sorry guys. Uh, and he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, uh, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. <laughs> And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, if you want to be first, he, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who doesn't follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he didn't follow us. But Jesus said, Don't forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink in my name because you belong to the Messiah, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. See, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, because it's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to Gehenna, to go to hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life, into life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into, into Gehenna, into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna, into hellfire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone, everyone will be seasoned with fire. And every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Last one's a bomb, right? Have peace with one another. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. We're, we're just going to look at the first section here, right? Because this is like, this is 50 uh, verses here, so like that's a lot, right? I mean, I don't mind staying for several hours, but you know, <laughs> I, I'll get hungry eventually. <laughs> Um, I just want to look at the first uh, section, the first story here. So um, let's pray really quickly, and then we'll look at the, um, that first section, what we call the transfiguration. There's a couple of things I noticed this year as I went through it that I have never seen before, and so I wanted to share them with you and um, let you have that stuff to bounce around in your brains too. So, um, um, And I think um, it's wonderful. So. All right, let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that uh, we, can, uh, we can do this, and I pray, Lord, for your protection. Um, uh, Lord, we trust in you more than in anything else, because you are the living God, and you're in control of everything, Lord, and, and because that's true, it brings us to a place of saying, what can we do, how can we do our very, very best to obey your commands? God, we want to do that with wisdom, with grace. We want to show loving kindness to each other because you have been so kind to us. Father, thank you for meeting us, for being present with us always, whether we're here, gathered, or when we're not. Teach us to depend on you more. And I suppose as a summary of what I... I'm wanting to talk about today. Help us to be people who hear Him. Who are hearing the words of Jesus more than the words of the, the flood of people around us. Please, Lord. Please teach us to hear You. Because it's You that we need, and only You have the words of eternal life. And we live in the middle of a hopeless and perverse generation just as it always was. And just as we were and sometimes are. Lord, help. Lord, help, I pray. Please help. Help us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Alright guys, let's look at uh, the transfiguration really quickly. And uh, like I said, I want to point out a couple of things to you that... Um, I hope that you'll take note of with me. Uh, and so I'm going to back up real quickly so we can have the, um, the text up here where we're going to be at each section real quickly. That way, um, uh, you know, if you're holding a baby or something, it's easier for you to see. <laughs> that sort of thing. So, so we'll have it up here. Okay. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So... This first uh, statement here that Jesus makes, 
I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power is an incredibly overwhelming statement to think of, right? Until you see the kingdom present with power, some of you won't die. Some of you standing here won't die, he says. Now this is, in all of the gospel accounts of this, it's linked together with the story of Peter, James, and John going up onto the mountain. Now, the reason why I want to point that out is because sometimes we make an assumption that that's what he was talking about. I just want to make sure that for the, uh, for the authors, it seems to me that that's exactly the reason why they tell it this way. They're saying, Jesus said this, some of us would see the kingdom present with power, even before we die. And then immediately after that is the story of Peter, James, and John going up onto the mountain with Jesus, and Jesus being transfigured. Peter writes about this event later on as a confirmation of, kind of a confirmation of what Peter had said in the previous chapter, that Jesus, you are the Messiah. The last chapter in chapter 8, Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you're the Messiah, you're the, the Savior, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then now in this next chapter, we have this, this story that um, shows um, some, some pretty remarkable things. But, but from our perspective, you know, we're sitting here, for many of us having read or heard many of these stories for many years, but try to as best you can put yourselves in the, in the shoes of these these first century disciples, just Jewish people who are following this rabbi, who they're coming to believe, who they're coming to believe is, is the Messiah, right? But they're learning about what that means. They're learning about, about what exactly that looks like and who he is, you know? And he's constantly revealing himself to them in ways that sometimes they don't understand. So, um, assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. When was that? Uh, I would say that it was right in the very next chapter, or paragraph, I mean. Right? So this is, this is when some of them standing there saw the kingdom present with power, is what's being described in the next section. Now, after six days, which I think is apropos, right? Uh, which is the seventh day after Jesus said that. <laughs> Seven being the, the heptad, or the, this number of completion. Um, so, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Can you imagine John Mark writing this down? And he may have gotten a lot of this from Peter himself, because John Mark eventually traveled with the Apostle Peter. So he may have gotten a lot of this story from Peter himself. And John Mark is like, now, now, what did his clothes look like? <laughs> and, and Peter or John, they're like, listen, there's no way you could bleach clothes to look as white as his clothes looked. Like, they were shining bright white. Like, there's no way that could be done, right? Is the way that he's describing it, you know. Uh, they were white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus, now, we don't know exactly what high place or mountain they went up onto at this particular point. But it says that Elijah and Moses were there talking with Jesus. Now, uh, throughout Jewish history, Moses would be, in many ways, representative of the law itself. In a lot of ways, Elijah, as one of the first and preeminent, not, not first necessarily, but one of the preeminent prophets, uh, would himself be seen as representative of the prophets themselves as well. Uh, so we have Elijah, and we have Moses, 
talking with Jesus. But here's something that I never realized before, never really thought of before, and I want to share it with you, and I want you guys to um, at least consider and think about this idea. Peter, James, and John go up onto a mountain, and they see Jesus up on the mountain now with um, Elijah and Moses. And this is blowing their minds, right? Because Elijah and Moses have been gone for many years. Moses uh, died, uh, to, at least to the best of our knowledge, and his, or, or that's what the text says, he died, and then, and then uh, there was some sort of dispute about his bones between some angels and stuff. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, Jude references that. <laughs> but, um, so, so that's Moses. The other person here is Elijah. The Bible says that Elijah was carried away in a fiery chariot and his mantle, sort of the outer cloak thing, fell down and it was picked up by his protege, Elisha, right? Um, But in that sense, Elijah didn't die in the way that it seems we normally think of dying. That event also happened to another man, a man by the name of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5. It says he walked with God and he was not because God took him. He just was taken by God, right? Now, here's what I want you to think about. What happened with Moses? Where did God take Moses as a primary place of Moses' ministry where God revealed himself to him? Where he spoke with God. He took him up onto the mountain, right? Moses went up on the Mount Sinai. He was there 40 days and 40 nights, and there he met with God. Here he's on the mountain meeting with whom? With Jesus, right? With, with God. I think in many ways this for me becomes another proof of the, the Jesus being part of the Godhead, being God in a human body. Moses is seen up on the mountain again meeting with the very one I would say was with him on the mountain before. It was Mount Sinai before. Interestingly enough, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, I won't take you there right now. You can read it more on your own. After this great victory that Elijah had, at Mount Carmel, where he called the people of Israel to repentance. And they, they, they repented. They came back to the Lord in many ways. And then he had to hack up uh, 850 prophets of Baal. It was difficult to be a, a prophet of God back in the day. He, uh, they got hacked to pieces. Um, so uh, 850 dudes uh, get hacked to pieces. And then Elijah takes off because he hears that Jezebel wants his head, and Jezebel is this real, like, she's a horrible, she's a wicked lady, right? Don't name your kids Jezebel, right? So, like, it's a reason, the, the, the Bible's the reason why that name is infamous for, like, nasty lady kind of thing, right? So, maybe I shouldn't say that. For, like, <laughs> wicked lady, sorry. <laughs> Politics stinks. Everyone stinks. Anyways. Um, so, uh, Jezebel now comes after Elijah, and Elijah runs away, and he goes to Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. He goes to the mountain where God met with Moses. And then there at that mountain, God meets with Elijah. Not in the earthquake, not in the whirlwind, not in the fire, but in a still small voice. God speaks to Elijah. And Elijah says, I alone am left (laughs) of righteous people. And God's like, nah, bro. I got a bunch of other folks down there that haven't bowed the knee. (laughs) God met with Elijah and God met with Moses, both on the mountain. That particular mountain was Mount Sinai. Now, Jesus is meeting with Peter, James, and John, 
and he's transfigured. His kingdom is present with power. Why is the kingdom present with power? Because the king is there. <laughs> and he, he, he's changed. He's transformed in a way that is unimaginable to them. But the thing I wanted you to see about this is that this is so familiar for Moses and Elijah. <laughs> because they had already met with God on the mountain. Like I said before, this becomes a couple of things. Proof for me that Jesus claimed to be God, not just another good guy, not just a prophet, not just some other man with some nice message. But he indeed is claiming to be God, and this event is a demonstration of that with power as he meets up on the mountain with two people who had long been either dead or gone for a thousand years or several hundred years. He meets with them. And he talks with them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Another gospel writer tells us they were talking about his death that he would accomplish. (laughs) Whoever thought of death as an accomplishment? Jesus does. Because it's in his death that he redeems all those who've laid their trust in him. That's an accomplishment. For him to willingly lay his life down. Because you and I are constantly trying to save our lives. In the last chapter we read, Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you, if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, then you'll find life. That's the promise that he gave us. Losing our lives. Laying our lives down for the sake of others. So, Elijah appeared to them with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the next verse says, because he didn't know what, what to say, for they were greatly afraid. The first thing that Peter does is he responds to this event by saying, we should build a couple of booths. Tabernacles is just a tent. We should build several tents. Now, this might sound weird to you. Why would Peter want to build tents when he sees Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? Why would he want to build a tent for each of them? Some have suggested that what this does is it puts Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. And I think in, in, to one degree that's true because the response of the father in the next second is, this is my beloved son. In other words, like, like Jesus is preeminent. He's above the prophets. He's above the law. He's above Moses. He's above Elijah. Don't put them on the same level. Because that's sort of what Peter was doing by saying, let's build a tabernacle for each of them. But why tabernacles? Again, what's a tabernacle? What's tabernacle, guys? You guys remember? It's a tent, right? A tabernacle is just a tent. It's an old word for a tent, different word for a tent, right? Now, in Israel, every fall there is a festival, it's a week long, called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the prophet Zechariah, one of the promises of the kingdom of God, of the restored kingdom, is that the nations would come to Israel and celebrate the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe Peter thinks, Now's the time. The kingdom is here. What did Jesus say to them? You would see the kingdom present with power, right? Maybe Peter's like, it's here, it's now. Yes, the kingdom, right? Let's build the tabernacles. Let's build these booths, right? And in, in some way, it seems like he's equating Jesus with, he's putting them on the same level, Jesus with Moses and with Elijah. Because <clears throat> he didn't know what to say. For they were greatly afraid. He just starts to say something because they were all terrified, right? They didn't know what to say. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, verse 7 says, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear Him. 
not on the same level as Moses, not on the same level as Elijah. In fact, it's through Jesus and his teaching that we better and more fully understand Moses and Elijah and the other prophets. It is because of the further revelation, the greater revelation of the Son of God himself that we have better understanding of the intent and meaning of the law of God and of God's prophets. Um, The author to the Hebrews brings up this very point in uh, the very first sections of his book pointing out that Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than all those who had come before. So, in the beginning of the book of Hebrews, uh, the author says, in various ways at different times God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. And so the Father now speaks. And can you even imagine, if you're Peter, James, and John, and you're up on this mountain, and Jesus, this rabbi, who this man you've been following around, you've seen him do all these miracles and all these interesting things, you've seen him do all this stuff, and now he starts to be totally transformed, and his, his clothing becomes shining white, brighter than anything you've ever seen before. And by the way, I suggest to you that this is a very similar image that John is going to see later in the Revelation in the revelation of Jesus. Very similar. In fact, we might read it in just a little bit. It's one of my favorite passages. And then all of a sudden you hear this voice after Peter says, we should make booths for everybody, tabernacles for everybody. You hear a voice that comes out of the cloud that overshadowed you and it says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. I'm going to come back to that. That's sort of my summary text for, for one of the main points I want to make for us today. Uh, but let's, let's finish uh, walking through the rest of this really quickly. Suddenly when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. You imagine? Right in a moment, they hear this voice that says, this is my beloved son, hear him. And then everything else vanishes. The cloud, Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they had like introductions or whatever, like, hey, I'm Moses, hey, I'm Elijah, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But apparently they knew it was Moses and Elijah one way or another. <laughs> Right. <laughs> name tags, right? It's probably the way it works. People love the name tags. <laughs> so, um, suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Um, it says, verse 9 says this, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So the next thing, as they're walking down the mountain now, after this incredible revelation of Jesus with Moses and Elijah, the next thing Jesus says is, Hey guys, don't tell anybody. <laughs> what? We heard the voice of God. We, we saw you changed. And you're like, don't tell anybody. We saw Moses and Elijah. Don't tell anybody. Not until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Son of Man is one of the Jesus' pet names for himself. It's a name that Ezekiel used for himself as well as as one of God's prophets. The previous part that we read where the voice said, This is my beloved son, hear him, reminds us of the promise in the book of Deuteronomy that God said he would send a prophet like Moses and the people of Israel would hear him and if not, they would be judged. And of course, that's indeed what happened. And Jesus eventually is going to pronounce that judgment on the nation itself because many of them didn't hear him. They wouldn't hear him. Even today, many won't hear him because we're too caught up in, in our own things, in our own traditions. 
<clears throat> now as they came down from the mountain, as you read, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. <laughs> it seems plain as day to me. He said he's going to rise from the dead. What's wrong with you guys? But like if you've never seen somebody risen from the dead, like come back after they've died, uh, it might be hard to believe, right? I've never seen anybody do that. Right? So like if Jesus just, if I'm like following this rabbi around, he's like, yo, I'm going to come back from the dead, guys. Um, I'm going to have a hard time being like, so what exactly? Wait, what? What do, you, what do you mean by that? And that's kind of where they were. They kept this word to themselves, all the stuff they'd seen. And they were like, what does this, what does he mean when he says rising from the dead? What is that talking about? Verse 11 said, they asked him, saying, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Keep in mind that in their minds, it seems like their belief is that the kingdom is about to come in its fullness. For many of them, they believed that Jesus had come now to overthrow their Roman oppressors and to, to give Israel the glory it once had. To overthrow the Roman oppressors. But that's not at all what he was doing in this coming, in this first coming. He was coming to overthrow the oppression of our sin. <clears throat> to give us eternal life. To give us of himself. They asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Indeed, the prophets say, I believe it's in Malachi, it says, Elijah will come before the, the coming of the day of the Lord. So Jesus responds to that by saying, Then he answered, Verse 12 says, Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and, and does restore all things. He restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Keep in mind that one of the last things that we see in the last chapter, one of the things we see in the last chapter, when, when Peter says, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father has revealed it to you. What's the next thing that Peter said? After Jesus said, but the Son of Man is going to be delivered up and be crucified and then be raised from the dead. What's the next thing that Peter said after that? Peter's like, Lord, far be it from you, right? Like, you're not going to die. Nobody's going to take you and kill you. What are you talking about, right? And then Jesus turns back to him and rebukes Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are mindful of the things of man and not of the things of God. A moment after Peter's great confession <laughs> that, that Jesus is the Messiah, okay, so in Peter's view, it seems like Peter's still pushing this maybe. Like, the kingdom is now! The kingdom is here! Yes! yes! There's no suffering! It seems to me that Peter's constantly trying to get away from suffering. <laughs> it seems to me that Peter's constantly trying to get away from suffering. But that's not the way of the kingdom right now. In fact, it is through suffering that we inherit glory. Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how is it written concerning the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Yes, Elijah is coming. Yes, the kingdom will come. But what about all these other prophecies? What about the words of the prophets that say the Messiah is to suffer? What about Isaiah 53? What about Psalm 22? What about the writings that say that Messiah would come to suffer, Peter? and James and John and others. What about those? Those things will be fulfilled as well. That's what he's saying here. 
And even after Jesus is raised from the dead, in the book, beginning of the book of Acts, you know what one of the first questions that they ask him is? Is the kingdom coming now? <laughs> they were constantly like harping on this thing, right? And Peter, or, or Paul, rather, later writes some, in some of his letters reminding us that if we seek to inherit Jesus' resurrection life, then we ought to recognize that we need to be united together with him in his present suffering first. We suffer with him that we might be raised with him. This is the life of, of the person following the risen Savior, Jesus. We suffer by laying our lives down, by doing good to those who, who do evil to us, by being totally the opposite of the way of the world that is based in retribution so often, and, and more frequently in, in over-retribution and revenge. We give place to wrath because God is the avenger. Verse 13 says, But I say to you that Elijah has also come, and they did to him whatever they wished, as it is written of him now. And, and Mark doesn't point this out, but we find in the other gospel letters that mention this, that uh, what Jesus is referring to here is uh, John the Baptist. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So indeed Elijah had come to set things straight. In, in the person of John the Baptist. Now I think because of the prophet, uh, because of what Malachi says and, says, and because of what Jesus says here, indeed Elijah is coming first and restores all things, I think that at some point, before the day of the Lord, I think Elijah's coming back. Well, that can't happen. Elijah's been gone a long time. Uh-huh. And he had been gone a long time when they saw him on the Mount of Transf Transfiguration too. Didn't seem to be a problem for God to put him there. Right? So... Uh, in fact, if God can make anything out of nothing, which he did make everything out of nothing, I really don't think there's anything that's hard for him. Uh, so once I accept that premise, everything else is kind of gravy, right? It's just easy. All right, a couple of things I want to come back to, uh, or maybe one thing. Sorry about that it's discharging static electricity right there. Anyway, so a couple of things I want to go back to. One particular thing. Two things, <laughs> and then we'll wrap up. You guys okay with that? Yeah? Look at that. That's pretty short, right? We can do that. Like, there's a first for everything, right? Just kidding. The, like, these last two things are going to be another 30 minutes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. All right. So here's a, here's a couple of things I want to point out to you. One is this. Um, <clears throat> I gave you the reference before for um, Elijah and how Elijah... God revealed himself to Elijah on the mountain, on Mount Horeb. That's in 1 Kings 19. I encourage you to read that story again. It's very encouraging, um, especially during this season that we've been going through. It's an incredibly encouraging story. So uh, I want to turn your attention to, um, to Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter 4. Let me see if I can do this real quickly. Let's see if this works. turn your attention to this text really quickly. Um, 
17 through 32. Okay. So, if, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to grab it there as well. It's good for you to do that. So Ephesians 4, um, we'll see if I can figure out how to change it. I may not be able to on here, but. Anyhow, um, so Ephesians 4, verse 17 says this, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with Greediness. Now, this is Ephesians 4.20. It says this, But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying... Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are, we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in the Messiah forgave you. The thing I wanted to bring out in this particular text is back in Ephesians 4, verse 20, um, that says... You have not so learned Christ. So, in the first section, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, that's the unbelievers, walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned the Messiah. You have not so learned Christ. This is a statement that I find myself repeating over and over and over and over again whenever I'm confronted with some idea that somebody says is right or good or the way I need to think about something. I use this, this is what hits me over and over again when somebody says, Well, this is what we should do. I say, You didn't learn that from Jesus. The attitude that you're addressing that situation with, you didn't learn that from Jesus. You have not so learned Christ. You didn't learn that from Him. He is not like the rest of the world. And when it comes to the, the information that we receive from the internet or from anywhere, when it comes to the advice about how we should live and what we should do, about what's important and what's valuable, about what the priorities of our lives should be, about how we should address situations like, uh, like social issues, like justice, like other things. We must be people who address all of those situations from the position of our Messiah Jesus, first and foremost. 
not from the foundational position of the world that does not know God. Otherwise, we will be led astray into some other false gospel. Because everybody believes something. Everybody is given over to some type of religious system. Some type of worldview that dominates what they believe to be the foundation of everything. And if that worldview isn't itself rooted in the Messiah Jesus, then it's just not his way. I think it's important for us to remember that, particularly in light of like what, um, what uh, the, the father said about Jesus when they were like, let's build, Peter's like, let's build three tabernacles. And the father's like, nah, bro, this is my beloved son. You hear him. Hear him. So I want you to evaluate, every one of us, we need to evaluate the amount of time and input we have given to the voices of others over against the amount of time and input we have given to the voice of our Savior Jesus into the way that we think about the things that are happening around us. This is hard for me because it's so easy for me to scroll through social media and it's really hard for me to read my Bible. but I need to hear him. I need to know how he thinks and what he wants. I, I, I want to have his priorities, not the ones that everyone else is trying to set for me. Because in the end of all things, it is him before whom I must give an account, no one else. God is, my, is our judge. We will all stand before the judgment seat of our Messiah, Jesus. That's the reality that we face. But we live in the midst of a world that doesn't believe that's true. And so they, they give no place to that thought because they simply don't agree with it. In the end, for many others, something or someone else is their judge. My encouragement to you today is to hear him. Give place to the scriptures. Find ways to allow the word of God to pour over you more and more and more and more. Meditate on these things. Be like a cow with seven stomachs. <laughs> Chew on the word of God a little bit and then spit it back up into your mouth and chew on it a little bit more and swallow it into a different stomach and then spit it back up into your mouth and chew on it a little bit more <laughs> and swallow it into a different stomach. <laughs> cows have seven stomachs so they can get lots of stuff out of grass, right? You can't get out of grass what cows can get out of grass, bro, because that's how God made them. They're primary consumers, right? And then we eat those jokers so we can get the, the, the energy that they supply, right? <laughs> the circle of life. <laughs> Hear him, guys. <clears throat> uh, really quickly, uh, last, um, last things here. Um,
wrap up this morning. So Second uh, Peter, uh, I just encourage you to grab it. Second Peter uh, chapter 1 uh, says this. Uh, this is Peter. This is one of those three guys that went up on that mountain and saw Jesus transformed. Okay? One of those three, this is words from his mouth. Okay? Or pen, maybe we should say. Uh, for we do not follow cunningly devised fables. I think that's a really important foundational understanding for you and me. When you follow Jesus and what the scriptures say, you are not following cunningly devised, made-up stories. You aren't. And Peter knows that to be true. For we, It's in verse 16 of, of, of 2 Peter. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, but were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They saw His majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with Him where? On the holy mountain. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Peter, James, and John, when he, James, and John were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they heard the voice of God say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear Him. And so Peter's like, Listen, bro, we are not following a bunch of made-up stories that somebody told us. We are following the truth of God in a human body and what He has done for us and for the world. And so we have, verse 19 says in in 2 Peter 1, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Man, do you feel like the world is going through some dark places right now? It is. I encourage you to be about the word of God, that you might see light in the dark places. Because God is not done with what he is doing in the world. All of the death and the destruction that we see around us is not the final word. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. (laughs) By the way, you can't make God give you a prophecy. (laughs) God, I want to give I want to have prophecy. God's like, no, bro, I'm the one who does that. (laughs) (laughs) for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit that's why we believe the prophets who came before us by the way because the testimony of the writings and of Peter and of others is that God spoke through them in case anybody is wondering about that Uh, last last thing I wanted to read to you is is how John sees uh, John was also on Mount, Mount of Transfiguration so I just want to read to you how John sees Jesus later on He's exiled to an island because he gets arrested. He's exiled. He's punished by being sent to this island where they sent criminals called Patmos. And he was just left there to die. No, he didn't die there. He eventually was able, was able to make it back to the mainland. But he was left at Patmos. And while he was there, he received this revelation, this vision. Um, many visions, maybe we could say. But this thing that he calls the revelation of Jesus. It's sometimes called the apocalypse, which is just another word for revelation. Um... <clears throat> Sometimes when we hear the word apocalypse, we think of like um, uh, something different. Like we think of, it means like 
cataclysm or something like that, but that's not what the word, the word means revelation. So this is the revelation of Jesus. All the things written in the revelation are to show us Jesus. And if you miss that when you go through the book of Revelation, you're missing the entire point. So that we would see Jesus. That's the point of the book here. It's the point of what's happening. I, uh, in um, Revelation chapter 1, it says this. Um, <clears throat> it says this in uh, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, <laughs> even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. Verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus the Messiah, was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus the Messiah. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst, in the middle of the seven lampstands, one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you've seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And John is to write these letters to the churches. And later on, <clears throat> later on we see John having another part of this revelation in chapter 5. And he says, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, John says, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the middle of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the middle of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Hey guys, 
please don't lose heart. Because we have been given greater promises than you can even imagine yet. Let us see with the eyes of faith what the world around us cannot see. And let us be ambassadors, messengers of this gospel of peace and reconciliation first with God and then also with each other. Because again, we are fraught in the middle of, of a, a world without either. No peace with God and no peace with anyone else. God, help us to avoid the wickedness of tribalism. Us against them. Jesus is for the world. <laughs> he came to save the world. May he do it through us. <laughs> May he work through us, you guys. <laughs> I encourage you to hear him. <sighs> Lord, it's you that we need. Give us rest in our hearts just as you promised. At the same time, make in us a holy passion that separates us from the world around us that doesn't, um, that isn't concerned about your kingdom because it can't see it. Unless we lay our trust in Jesus, we can't even see the kingdom unless we are born from above. So Father, I pray you be honored with us. I thank you for our friends. I thank you for, for our families. And I pray that, you'd be, that you would be delighted as we pursue you, Lord. Help us, help us, I pray. Help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. Love you. The Lord bless you. Um, see, it, it wasn't quite 30 minutes, right? It was only 20 minutes or so. <laughs> the last couple of things. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, please keep keep going through the Word of God, guys. That's my encouragement to you. Let the Word of God be the voice that you hear first and foremost, because um, there are lots of voices that want your attention.